Hi, I'm Alexandra, and I am the creator of Alexandra's Adventures. I want to explore different topics, learn new things, and share my discoveries with all of you. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome back to the Pensieve Podcast, a segment dedicated to the magical world of Harry Potter. I am back again today with my mom to discuss Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, the fifth novel in the series. Hello, Alex. It's nice to be back again. Welcome back. So being over 800 pages, there are many topics that we could cover from this book, and I want to cover them. However, we can't cover them all. Today, we will be talking about Quidditch, Sirius's death, and the prophecy. Within these points, we will bring up some key differences between the movie and the book. And uh, stay tuned for today's Scholarly Second at the end of the podcast. So to start it off with, Quidditch is honestly already the biggest difference um, is me even bringing up the topic of Quidditch. Yeah, I don't remember seeing Quidditch in the fifth movie. Was there, I mean, was there any Quidditch actually played in the fifth movie? I don't remember Quidditch being played at all. Um, because, no, we had all our other issues to deal with, <laughs> honestly. Um, and that's actually something that's really interesting, because you see one of the decrees that is put up, and I, if I remember correctly, it was, it was written differently in the movie, um, because um, it was the, it was the, the decree that Umbridge put up banning all organizations. Mm-hmm. And it said student organizations in the movie, I believe. Yes. And in the book, it listed like clubs, sports, something else, and okay. organizations. So that included Quidditch. And you found out from Angelina Johnson, who is now Quidditch cap captain for Gryffindor, mm -hmm. now that Oliver Wood has graduated and left. Um, and so we find out from her that Quidditch has actually been also... Um, I don't want to say banned, but, like, you can't do it unless yeah. you get permission. Okay. Um, so now they have to all go and get permission from Umbridge, Professor Umbridge, um, so that they can play again. And, you know, Slytherin gets it automatic. Like, they get it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, it takes a little longer for Gryffindor because Harry has already gotten detention for, like, a week with her. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's already problematic. But um, besides that, we also learned that because Oliver Wood has left, they right. need a new keeper. Okay. So Gryffindor is holding tryouts and Angelina's, again, mad at Harry because he misses tryouts because of um, his detention and he can't get out of it. Okay. And we learned that Ron mm -hmm. actually becomes keeper. Okay. And does well enough in tryouts that he becomes keeper for the team. So that works out well. Like, they already get along. Um, however, the fun continues at a Quidditch match. Um, where after the game... So Ron's already getting teased because, like, he, he's not the best keeper. 
but like he does well essentially they as they put it he does well when he doesn't think people are looking at him okay that (laughs) that would be difficult during quidditch it really is and um as you mentioned like the quidditch isn't seen in the movie all of this stuff like ron becoming keeper takes place in the next movie from my memory oh well like it occurs in movie six okay um which is really funny to me because it's like really relevant in this book um also because uh, a fight with drago occurs after one of the games on the quidditch pitch i know right um and he starts like insulting people and um it's specifically aimed at the weasleys and at harry yeah and of course and um like fred has to be restrained by like other team members um but harry and george don't end up getting restrained and they like attack malfoy um and they fight him and uh, umbridge of course comes in and um it's just like this is not appropriate like two on one and um and draco i'm sure just you know says i'm the victim yeah and um one of the things that happens is uh umbridge says like hey like a specific like punishment needs to occur and bans harry and george for life from playing quidditch okay at hogwarts i must i'm going with it i i don't think she can ban them for life anywhere else in the world so i'm going with it specifically just at hogwarts while she's there Mm -hmm. um and then she decides to include fred on that because if he wasn't being restrained she says he would have attacked oh so now all three of them are banned so now you can probably assume angelina is even more angry with them because now she has to replace three more players from her team yes um two the two beaters and a seeker so you know some vital people yeah um and so they hold tryouts again um and they get two other gryffindor guys to replace fred and george as beaters and surprise our new seeker is Ginny weasley okay and um her brothers are shocked because they're like since when have like they don't really let her join in as much at home yeah when they play um and hermione i believe it was hermione revealed that she's been sneaking into their shed and practicing on each of their brooms in turn at home and has been practicing quidditch and practicing flying and okay so she's a pretty decent seeker and angelina is like of course not as good as you harry but she's great she's, yeah she's good enough um so it's at this point in time it's almost not the gryffindor team it's the weasley team yeah <laughs> led by angel angelina angelina yes well the weasley team minus two of the weasleys who yes. have been banned from yes. the team but yeah so it's um okay so seven players keeping in my mind so we've got um the two guys replacing friend george's beaters okay Ginny seeker um Ron is Ron is keeper. keeper. And then um Angelina, Alicia, and Katie Bell are um chasers. Okay. 
I feel like I have to say Katie Bell. <laughs> like, her full name is her name because that's how you hear her all the time. Okay. But, yeah, so... Um, but if that hadn't have changed, it would have essentially yes. become a Weasley, Weasley team, team at for Gryffindor. Yes. Um, but we do learn later that Ginny reveals since Angelina and Alicia will be leaving next year, she wants to try out as Chaser because she much more prefers making goals than finding the snitch. And she goes, so when you're back on the team and Harry goes, what do you mean? Like, I've been banned for life. And she's like, only as long as Umbridge is here. Yeah. Like That'll change. You'll be fine. So she's like, when you're Seeker again, I'm going to be um, Chaser. And I think this would have been, like, important to show in the movie, this whole all of Quidditch occurring. Mm -hmm. Because in the next movie, Ginny's just, like, on the team mm -hmm. already. And her and Harry are holding tryouts. If I remember correctly, okay. I think it's the two of them holding the Keeper tryouts. I don't and remember. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen the movie in a while, yeah. so I can clarify we'll talk this about next, next time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I just think it would have been, it would have given more background to Ginny and how amazing she is. And they, I think it would also show the development of her, you know, because when we first met her, she was very young. And, you know, now she's in her third year. Um, This is the fifth book, so she's in her fourth year. Fourth year. And so, you know, she's done a lot of growing. And if they had done, you know, the showing of her trying out for Quidditch, that would show th that would have shown a level of maturity. Yeah. What that if, she's starting to achieve. I mean, she was possessed by Voldemort. And then all of a sudden she's just there as like she's like in the next movie, you see more like you get her like her with her relationship with boys. Yeah. Like that's about it. Like she goes from this badass moment to um a love interest okay and i'm like there's so much more to book jenny yeah than movie jenny portrays and it would have been amazing to see that development yeah. because that's specifically something that's brought up is her possession because Harry, harry while dealing with wondering what's going on with like the visions that he's been having um especially with arthur weasley mm-hmm he thinks, what if I'm being possessed by Voldemort? And he actually separates himself over Christmas from the family because he doesn't think they want to be around him right. because of that. And um, they finally, like, quarter him, uh -huh. like Hermione, Ron, and Ginny. And he's just like, none of you understand. And she goes, but I do. And he goes, oh, I forgot. And she was like, lucky you. Yeah. Because everyone just forgot that she's the only one there who has been possessed by Voldemort and ha and could understand Harry to a certain level yeah. here. But that's also when we learn he's not possessed. Good. But rounding off Quidditch, um, so Sirius is deaf. Yes. Honestly, the one thing that made me, like, it's the hardest thing to read this book because of that, because I knew it was coming. Yes. Um, and it sucks. It sucks. I love Sirius Black so much. He's an amazing character, and I wish him and Harry got more time. Yeah. Um, they deserved that. Yes. But what I think is interesting to discuss is his death. So in the movie, he Bellatrix Lestrange kills Sirius, so his cousin kills him. And it's this big moment because she... Uses the killing curse of Vada Kedavra in the movie. Mm -hmm. 
However, in the book, it kind of leaves it more open for like wondering is because as we've known, just um, the killing curse has been described as a flash of green light. When Harry remembers his mother getting killed, it was a flash of green light. Okay. Um, and when it's described in the book, it says, Harry saw Sirius duck Bellatrix's jet of red life, of red light, mm-hmm. sorry, red yeah. light. Um, and he taunts her saying like, you can do better than that. And then all of a sudden it says the second jet of light hit him squarely in the chest. Okay. So it doesn't describe, like, that could leave it open to it could have been the killing curse. Right. But from what we've seen also in, in like, the movies, it's an instant death. Right. Like, once you're hit with it... You're done. You're dead. Like, when Cedric got hit with it, dead yes. on the ground. So if you read that, like, it could have been the red light again. So he wasn't necessarily hit with the killing curse in the book. And then it's because it also describes that his eyes widened with shock Mm -hmm. and that um, as Harry like looked at him, he he described Sirius's look as like fear and surprise. Okay. And then he fell back into this archway that they talked about having like this veil. Um, Like the chapter is called Beyond the Veil. Okay. Um, And he fell through the archway. And so that leaves speculation on if he hadn't have fallen through the archway where Harry and Luna had heard voices and it had this veil, would he have lived? Right. Would would there have been a chance for him to have a relationship with Harry? Yeah. I mean, minus the fact that they were surrounded by Death Eaters. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. even if he hadn't fallen through the arch, he very well could have still died. Yeah. Um, but that... It's that one little thing that makes me want to latch on with hope because I just wish they could have had more, more time. Yeah. Um, plus, if you think about it, it's not just it's not just Harry who lost him. Lupin Remus has now lost his last best friend. Yeah. He's lost everything now. Yes. Um, so he's truly alone as well. So him and Harry are in the same park. Like obviously he they have each other, but it's not the same. No, it's not. Um, and I'm crying just thinking about it now. <laughs> like, I'm getting so emotional. I, I just wish, I wish Sirius had more time. <laughs> I just love him so much. Yeah. It makes me so sad. But, um, yeah, it's just, yeah. And it's, it, in he the was movie, missed. It, he was missed. In the movie, it was a done deal. Yes. He got killed. But in the book, it just, the book lets you latch on for hope. Okay. The book and, then, makes, and then dashes your hopes. It really does. The book just has you sit there. Because, like, on the, the next the next moment, he's, they, like, they're like, he's gone. You can't bring him back. Like, Harry even mentions that Sirius, because obviously they had just seen the archway. They hadn't done anything. Um, Sirius just fell through. He'll come out the other side, and then he never came out the other side. Right. And it just makes you more like you're like, like where did he go? What Is happened in an alternative universe? Yeah, and I think um, another thing that's left out of the movie that kind of makes it his death m- much more emotional is so Harry kind of separates himself from the last feast, the final feast, and mm-hmm. is walking around, and he comes to a realization. And he starts running um, 
right before the feast is about to start, and he's trying to find Nick, Sir Headless Nick. Right. Um. Yeah, and yeah, and so he's trying to find Nick, and to ask him, like, do do every does everyone become a ghost? Okay. Because he's thinking Sirius will come back. Okay. Um, okay. where he does learn that no, not everyone becomes a ghost. Um, and Nick is like, I didn't want to die, and so he ended up choosing a certain th- a to somehow a made a decision and became a ghost. So, okay. yeah. So I just feel like that makes it more sad. But moving on to the prophecy, a prophecy is one of the biggest things in the movie mm-hmm. that is brought up. It's what they've been. Um, it's what they've been, like, looking for. It's what Voldemort's been trying to find. And you find out that, like, only the person who the prophecy's about can find it. Okay. Or there will be, like, terrible consequences, I guess. Okay. I, I don't really understand what, what, <laughs> what, what happens if someone picks up this other one. But, yeah, so Harry's the only one who can find and, like, pick up this prophecy. Um, and so, like, that's how they get him there. And it's really interesting because um, you find out that, like, some when the prophecy was, like, originally stated, um, someone only heard the first part, like, overheard the prophecy being told originally. Because the, obviously, the, the orb has the prophecy completely. Okay. But it gets broken. Yes. In the Department of Mysteries when they're fighting. And so Dumbledore was actually there when the prophecy was first given, uh-huh. said. And um, it turns out since they had, when he had met with the seer who had given the prophecy, they had met in, um, I believe it was the Hogshead Inn. And um, you find out that, of course... People go there and they overhear things. Yeah, shocking. And so the person who eavesdropped and overheard this and was able to report it back to Voldemort um, only heard the first part and wasn't able to, of course, warn Voldemort of the second half. Okay. And so to let everyone know what the prophecy said, so um, we find out actually that the person who gives the prophecy is Sybil Trelawney, mm-hmm. who... Some people think is a quack. Yeah, she. The some don't think she's actually gifted seer, but she is the great grand great great granddaughter of a very famous, very gifted seer. Okay. So this is the prophecy: the one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seventh month dies. And the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal, but he will have the power the Dark Lord knows not, and either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seventh month dies. Okay, and we know Harry's born at the end of July. Yes. So Harry is like... Again, it just go furthers everyone's comments about Harry being oblivious but he's like what does it mean yes <laughs> um and Dumbledore says it means that the person who has the only chance of conquering Lord Voldemort was 
um, for good, was born at the end of July, nearly mm-hmm. 16 years ago. Okay. And this boy would be born to parents who had already defied Voldemort three times. Okay. So Harry's like, oh, so it, it means me. And Dumbledore, which we would think, right? Yes. Um, as he tells Harry, the odd thing is, it may not have been Harry at all. Uh-huh. Um, Sybil- Sybil's prophecy could have applied to two wizard boys both born at the end of July that year, both of whom had parents in the Order of the Phoenix, both sets of parents having narrowly escaped Voldemort three times. One, of course, was Harry, Mm -hmm. and the other was Neville Longbottom. Okay. So, you know, going back to my love for Neville, he could have been the chosen one. Yes, he could have. And so then Harry's like, he now, again, has this little thing of hope. Mm -hmm. It's like, maybe it's not me. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's been a mistake this yes. whole time. Like, why am I the one who has to deal with this? And Dumbledore goes, "No, it's you. It's most definitely you now. Like, that's why it's na- it's got your name on it because Voldemort marked Harry as his equal the yes. night he tried to kill him. Yes, um, he chose Harry, not Neville, and um, Harry's like he might have chosen the wrong person. What do you mean?" And I think this is a great, like, further, uh, like, it delves more into Voldemort and Harry's, like, similarities, Mm -hmm. is the fact that Dumbledore, this is what Dumbledore says, he chose the boy he thought most likely to be a danger to him. And notice this, Harry, he chose not the pure blood, which according to his creed is the only kind of wizard worth being or knowing. But the half-blood, like himself, he saw himself in you before he had ever seen you. And in marking you with that scar, he did not kill you as he intended, but gave you powers and a future which have fitted you to escape him not once, but four times so far. Something that neither your parents nor Neville's parents ever achieved. Okay. And honestly, that's like such an interesting thing to think about um but also just like a little side note that i think is really amusing is harry actually uses this information earlier when they're in the department of mysteries Uh um when bellatrix and i believe it's when they first get when they're first in the room with the orbs still Mm -hmm. with all the prophecies um lucius malfoy and bellatrix have like like come up to them and they're still being slowly surrounded and um, she starts making comments about, like, them being blood traitors and half-bloods and, um, like, mud-bloods uh-huh. because Hermione's also there. And, um, of course, Bellatrix is from the Noble House of Black, so yes. she's a pureblood um, and holds those prejudices from that um, her family also held. Well, some of her family. Don't want to yes. say all her family. Um, but... Like, this woman just escaped Azkaban. Okay. And was there for torture and murder? Like, well... Yeah, yeah murder too, plus, I guess. But, like, for the torture for of um, Frank and Alice Longbottom, mm-hmm. Neville's parents? Yes. Like, this is not a woman you should be teasing no. or taunting. She, she's kind of, you know, off her rocker. Yeah, and um, pretty scary woman. And Harry just decides to, like, taunt this woman by being like, oh... Like, 
like your dark like like your master, the Dark Lord? Has Voldemort been telling you he's a pure blood? Didn't you know he was a half blood? Like his mom was a witch, but his dad was a muggle. Yeah, I believe his dad was muggle. Yeah, because that's why the bones yes. of the father unwillingly. Yes. Um, and he doesn't like his name because he was named after his muggle father. Um, but yeah, I just it was like great moment yeah. in the book, but really, you're gonna taunt the scary woman. Yeah, well, Leo, Harry might realize that by taunting the one that is unhinged, yeah. you know, it just prods them to be even more unhinged, which then can make them, you know, vulnerable. That's because, also a good point. Yeah. Um, but also doing that, I just remembered, j- is able to distract them uh-huh. because he is trying to, obviously he can't just like look around. So he's had, I believe at the moment, he had been like pushing his foot around, trying to find the closest foot and he stepped on it and he heard the like intake of breath or like the gasp and realized it was Hermione. Uh-huh. And she's like, what? And he's still talking to like Bellatrix and Lucius mm-hmm. and very quietly under his breath is able to say something to them, to Hermione. And she passes it around and essentially is like, told them to like shoot, like, I don't know if it's stun cells or something, but like knock the orbs down okay and that's the message so it's like what on my signal do this so we can escape yes but yeah i just that moment in itself was interesting but yeah like the prophecy i think is really interesting because people talk about all the time like who is the chosen one like Mm -hmm. what if it was neville instead of harry and i think we'll definitely talk more about that when we get to the deathly hollows okay um because it comes in a lot more, especially in the movie. Um, we'll get to the book okay. soon. But um, I know from watching the movie in the past that it, it's a big moment. You get to see a lot more of Neville. And so I think that will be a conversation will obviously be continuing. Yes. Um, but that is all we have for today. That is all we have time for. So thank you for joining me again. Thank you for having me. And stay tuned for The Scholarly Second coming up next. And now for our Scholarly Second, where we talk about scholarly works related to Harry Potter. Today's Scholarly Second is brought to us by Bill McCarran, whose article is titled Power Versus Authority in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. McCarran's essay explores how much of the plot of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix is built around the conflict of power versus authority. Power tends to be portrayed in a more negative light while authority is in a more positive light. Throughout the novel, we see how power can change a person and affect everyone around. We see this most frequently with Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, who has become paranoid that Dumbledore is after his job and Fudge wants to eliminate anyone that might be against him. So that includes Dumbledore, but it also includes people who support Dumbledore. The students who don't believe Harry or Dumbledore about Voldemort's return are affected by Fudge's use of his power, and they are influenced through the use of the Daily Prophet, which is printing what the Ministry wants at this point. Dolores Umbridge is also seen continuously taking more and more power throughout the story, eventually becoming a High Inquisitor. Certain students, specifically Draco Malfoy and other Slytherins, love the power they have been given by Umbridge when they are selected to join the Inquisitorial Squad and use their new positions to their advantage by handing out 
detentions and taking away class house points. We see the authority side of things, though, in characters like Dumbledore and Harry. Although, although Dumbledore is the headmaster at Hogwarts, he earns his way as an authority figure, sits beside his faculty, and lets student and students and teachers make choices. As for Harry, we watch him get elected as leader by his peers when he creates a secret defense against the dark arts class to help teach his fellow students how to prepare themselves for what is out there, specifically Lord Voldemort. This group unifies the students because it is made up of all four houses and shows true unity. Thanks again for exploring with me today. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about today's episode, or ideas for what you want to hear in future episodes, you can DM me on Instagram at alexandra's underscore amazing underscore adventures, or you can leave a voice message on our Anchor profile.